You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. True Hauntings is a Human Labs original podcast. In 1940, psychical investigator and ghost hunter Harry Price produced an account of his stays and studies at Borley Rectory. The book was called The Most Haunted House in England. And for a time, the price was right. Was Bawley Rectory truly haunted? Join us in this episode of True Hauntings as we firstly explored the history of Bawley Rectory and what made this place so intriguing to anyone with an interest in paranormal activity and how Harry Price actually investigated the most haunted house in England. Hi, I'm Renata Daniel. And I'm Anne Rekovich, and welcome to this week's episode of True Hauntings, the Bawley Rectory in England. Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow, forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. Hi, Anne. Hey, Renata. How you been? I've been awful. You have? I've been absolutely awful. I have had quite a number of days literally flat out in bed with an extreme case of vertigo. And if anyone out there gets vertigo, and please tell me, it'd be nice to know if any of the listeners suffer from this horrid affliction. Yeah, pop over onto Facebook, our page there, True Hauntings, and leave us a message or just comment on the post for that yeah. week. And it literally means that you're, you are spinning out of control. Your head is spinning out of control. You have no sense of direction, what's up or down. And it's, it's kind of very much like a migraine. And probably there's a part of it that kind of would really resemble a migraine other than the flashes of light, I guess, that you see in normal migraines or people that say they have them. But it, it really saw me flat out. I think I, I 
crawled away from the last recording that we were doing. You were looking very pale mm-hmm. by the end of that one. Yeah. And we pressed stop and you went, I have to go. Yes. Yep. I have to go. And I, I can normally feel it starting to come on, at which case I medicate myself Awfully, but I was here at that stage. And so the idea was get home as quickly as you can and go and lie down. <laughs> and I did offer to drive her, but she declined. She wasn't no. fully in its grasp at that stage, but she knew that she only had limited time to go home. I had moments. I had moments and to you, go. It doesn't normally last that long either, does it? No, this was, this is quite a long stint of it. And actually, having found a couple of uh, new vertigo help sites and help groups. I've found that a lot of people at the moment are suffering it. So I think it's all the weather changes and things that are happening in our atmosphere that are creating these issues for some people, uh, myself included. But yes, I'm, I'm slowly coming out of it now, but it's been five days Five days, and even yesterday or last night, it was a 12-hour sleep. And I do have to admit, you are looking much healthier for someone who's 110. Thank you so much. Thank you. I try and keep the moisturisers up. Yeah, you probably need to go for a little bit more. Anyway, I'm naughty. I know. I went really early today, didn't you I? You did. We didn't even get into the story and you're there already attacking my age. <laughs> It'd be interesting for everyone to guess our ages. Or Why don't you pop over onto oh, our Facebook page don't. and guess our no. ages from our voices. No, please, please don't. Oh, I don't love it. Know. I think that's a great idea. Have a competition. Uh, I might even put a little prize in for someone who guesses like, it. Guess, guess the number of jelly beans in the jar. <laughs> Guess how old Anne and Renata are. Actually, I will. I'm going to offer a prize. Oh, you horrid, horrid person who by the let's we're going to have to put a date on it. Let's let's put the first of May. Anyone who by the first of May, 2021 has guessed our correct ages. Now, don't look it up on the internet. There's only going to be one prize. It's going to be the person who gets it first. But just by listening to our voices, guess our ages. Dead silence on the other side. Thank you. (laughs) And our little prize will come from spellsandspirits.com.au. It is .com.au, isn't it? Yes. Yes, and it will be a bottle of fuck off spray, which I think Renata wants to actually spray in my face right at this moment in time. Yes. So that's a little spray that removes negative energy. (laughs) (laughs) Choice. Choice, choice, but choice it is man. made up of proper ingredients, even though it has a very powerful name and words are powerful. And uh, it has actually got tourmaline crystals inside and it has a concoction of delightful sage and peppermint essences. And uh, it is a most wonderful spray. And uh, we've had some great feedback from actually people that have used it. So there you go. Well, it worked really well on that one troll that we uh, had on that Facebook page when we did one of our lives Mm -hmm. and we used it for the troll. And they said, well, I'm going now. And we (laughs) thought, wow, that works. Yes. But let's get on to the story, shall we? Shall we? Yes, of course. Time to go down the rabbit hole. In the summer of 1937, when Mr Mark Kerr-Pierce, an excellent investigator, was in the house with my husband and myself, the outer doors were locked and the windows sealed. 
we heard footsteps approaching along the passage from the kitchen and the swish of garments. When we could no longer restrain ourselves, we rose to edge our way to the open door of the room in which we were. But nothing was to be seen or heard. This sound was not of people walking in the courtyard, nor of a rosebush, nor of rats. Nor could it have been a practical joker entering by the cellars, for he could not have got away in time without our seeing or hearing him. After the altar stone was lifted in the church, footsteps, knocks and bumps were heard there. Shortly after this, when Mr Price, my husband and I were in the church, we were interrupted by a wild, prolonged calling from the birds, as though if in warning, followed by the sound of footsteps coming into the porch. My husband hurried down to see what was the matter, but there was no one there. In the cottage, after the rectory was burnt, there was the sound of footsteps, of crockery being smashed, the scent of violets which lasted for nearly a minute at a time when there was no lady in the house. The church warden was typing the manuscript of my husband's book, which was later privately published as Haunted Borley. My husband had written, I myself placed no reliance on seances. As this was being typed, the small hand lamp near the typist that had stood there night by night as he was typing his poems and novels was suddenly swept from the table. May I ask for fair play for the villagers of Borley? Anyone who really knows Borley will know that they were not the players of practical jokes. The investigator was nearer the mark who recorded that the knockers at the door ran laughing away and got into a car, mere visitors. May they be spared disturbance in their village and their privacy respected. Above all, the church is for worship and not a laboratory for psychical research. We found this whole story about Borley Rectory, another one of those Alice in Wonderland down the rabbit hole issues, mm. didn't we? I think we need a T-shirt with that, down the rabbit hole. Down the rabbit hole. Because we're, we're going down a lot of rotten rabbit holes at the moment. We are. We are. And I think this will evolve into a two-part episode mm. to give it the... Yes, the lights are flashing. The in lights here. are flashing. I just I <laughs> stopped for a moment because the lights are flashing. That's approval to say that they want two episodes. Two episodes. <laughs> the weirdest things happen in this room, yeah, Anne. Well, I just it, have to say, it was my seance room before the uh, COVID. Before uh, we're not going to say oh, that word, Renata. Okay. Rona before Rona hit. <laughs> The information that I've gathered for the history has been from a number of different sources two of which are the Borley Rectory Companion, the complete guide to the most haunted house in England, and also the end of Borley Rectory by Harry Price himself. Uh-huh. Which so, I have that book. Yes. Just sitting over there, you came in the other day and you went, oh, you have the book. And I went, yes, I was getting ready for this episode. There are a number of other sources, 
And so it is sort of a collection of bits of information. But as usual, because my part of this is all about the history in these stories, I thought I would let you know where my sources were coming from this time. Now, Borley itself is really just a tiny rural community of three hamlets in Essex in England. And they never really had many people living in those hamlets. Borley is one of those places that you drive through and you go, oh. You blink and it's gone. Was that a village? But the legends that have now been established about the place far exceed it ever disappearing into the ether of English history (laughs) because everyone will now remember the story of the Borley Rectory and the Borley Church, which still remains. Mm. Well, I mean, with the title The Most Haunted House in England, it's never going to disappear, is it? Absolutely. But what we're finding out is that a number of the legends and myths that surround some of these places seem to have the same type of backstory Mm -hmm. because here for Borley there is a local legend that says there was supposedly the existence of a Benedictine monastery in the area Mm -hmm. around 1362. Yes, yes, I came across that in my research Yeah, the Benedictines got around (laughs) <laughs> they did. Didn't they? <laughs> They're responsible for a lot of hauntings. <laughs> <laughs> they seemed to be everywhere. Were they the same ones that were the... the- At Pontefract. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they, were, they were everywhere. So, of course, we have the existence of a Benedictine monastery and this leads into one of the infamous stories that is attached to Borley Rectory. So the name Borley may be a compound of the Saxon words bap and lay, don't ask me how they got oh, together, but anyway. Isn't BAP a Scottish bread? I, I don't know. So but lay down it, with bread? It's supposed to actually mean boar's pasture. Oh, well, I got it wrong, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine them laying down with a loaf of bread, which with me in my carb-reduced state, I would do quite happily. <laughs> but BAP is, yeah, BAP is a word for some type of bread, that's for sure. Recent local research, though, says that the name Borley may be derived from the Celtic Borley meaning summer meadows. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, That's Borley, nice. the, the the area of Borley is apparently filled with med- meadows all the way around it. Place of natural yes, beauty. Yes, it is. And we must go there. Oh, I want to go. But they're talking about the Qantas flights might open up before much longer. Mm-hmm. We can start planning a trip next year, Renata. Back to the story. Okay, sorry. Uh, around the 11th century, the manor of Borley was held by a freeman called Lewin. By 1086, the Doomsday Book records show that Borley Manor was in the hands of Adeliza. What a Adeliza, Countess of Albemarle. Now, did you say Borley Rectory was in the hands of Borley her? Manor. Borley, Borley Manor. Borley Manor, sorry. Which would have stood on where Borley Rectory stand, stood. Right. So Borley Manor was earlier. We're going yes. back to the 10... Yes. 80s. Right. This was before the 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 monks got there too. Oh, yes. Which yes. they don't exist, but that's okay. Yeah. So Adeliza, Countess of Albemarle, uh, half-sister of William the Conqueror, Ooh. and then it subsequently transferred to Edward I. 
Then we have a document in 1308. These Wow, you really have da- gone back. Yeah, these dates. I love to do that because I want to find yeah. out what was there beforehand. You are a true historian. I'm a true digger. <laughs> Don't, just don't go there. He's a gold digger. <laughs> so 1308 sets out the extent of the manor, listing the main occupants and the rental income. Amazing. 46 people are named in the extent with many free tenants as well as, I love these words, I tried to look up what they were, I couldn't find them all, Molman, Villiers and Coatman. Okay. Right? So I found out that a villain or a crofter was a serf tied to the land in the feudal system. Villains had more rights and social status than those in slavery but were under a number of legal restrictions which differentiated them from the freemen. And coatmen were married servants. Okay. Right, Okay. Just a little bit of background knowledge. Thank you. I'm impressed, Renata. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a gold star for that one. And in 1308, the whole estimated population of the area was 230. In 1346, the manor of Borley was then transferred to the Priory of Christchurch, Canterbury. Then we jump to the 16th century and Borley was associated with the Waldegraves. And this is where we get a little bit more history. The Waldegraves were one of the leading Essex Catholic families and Sir Edward Waldegrave was a courtier to Queen Mary and he purchased the manor of Borley in 1546. It became his principal residence. Once again, I'm jealous of the the history that they've got Mm. and how they can trace it back. The problem then becomes that the heads on the throne were getting chopped off <laughs> and removed oh, at an we, incredible we rate. Literally, <laughs> not metaphorically. And the Tower of London saw poor Edward Waldegrave a couple of times, depending on who was on the throne. So he was a Catholic, and as long as there was a Catholic on the throne, he was loved, admired, showered with gifts, all of this sort of stuff. He would hold his property and manor at Borley. Mm-hmm. But the moment a Protestant got on okay. the throne, into the dungeons yeah. he goes. So this this religious hatred has yes. been around for yep. centuries. Yep. Centuries. And he just, he, poor, poor Edward Waldegrave, he just suffered. He didn't know whether he was coming or going, (laughs) poor darling. As the next person's head got lopped off and he went back to his manor. Yep. And the next one went and he was back in jail. So he actually died in the Tower of London in 1561. I'd love to go back to the Tower of London. Knowing all of these people now, trying to get EVPs. And he was only 44. Oh. My goodness. Now, for us, that's really young because we're so old. (laughs) Speak to for yourself. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) And his widow, Lady Frances Neville, later erected a monument to him and herself in Borley Church. I'd love a photo of that. Hmm. So from early times under local government reforms in 1894, Borley was one of the parishes of the Hinkford Hundred, and then it became an area in Belchamp Rural District Council 
until that in turn was abolished in 1974 with the creation of Braintree District Council. Braintree? Ta-da! And here we are. Here we are. That's it, you're done, are you? No. No, okay. <laughs> now, we are more interested in the rectory that was built mm-hmm. on top of the old manor, which, of course, they, I think they did find some foundations when they were digging, not much more. And Borley Rectory was constructed on Hall Road near Borley Church by Reverend Henry Dawson Ellis Bull. Oh, God, they love their long, big names, don't yeah, they? Yeah, the longer the better. In 1862. So he moved in a year after he became rector of the parish and apparently that's when the village gossip also started. Oh, no, surely the, the locals didn't gossip. Mm-hmm. All 20 of them. <laughs> <laughs> How at many church? Were? You can just imagine them all sitting there at church <laughs> judging. Well, the problem was that Reverend Bull had 14 children in the end. You sure he wasn't Catholic? <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So the house replaced an earlier rectory that was on the site that had been destroyed by a fire in 1841. So there were a number of buildings on that site prior Mm -hmm. to the Borley Rectory that has our interest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And eventually, as I said, it had to be enlarged with more wings to the house because of Reverend Bull's... (laughs) Bull? (laughs) (laughs) Stamina. <laughs> Desire to have 14 children. His stamina and How his find time? wife with good childbearing hips. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. So ghost hunters often quote the legend of a Benedictine monastery supposedly in the area that was built around 1362 and we mentioned that. And this is where this whole story about the monk and the nun come yes. from. Everyone everyone loves a good story about oh, a monk and a nun. Oh, <laughs> isn't, there, they? isn't there a joke about a monk and a nun going to a pub? Oh, no. <laughs> oh. And you want me to leave you with yes. that to, to talk about? Yes. But it was actually confirmed in 1938 that this You're, was a furphy. It's a furphy. <laughs> <laughs> and that uh, the whole story was created by... Some of the 14 children who had nothing better to do, they were obviously reading books Mm -hmm. because there are stories quite similar, bits and pieces in some of the books that are referenced to what they may have been reading and where they have found bits of these stories. um, Story of Abelard and Eloise as well. Mm. Um, I was lucky enough to sing an operetta written by some friends of mine, and there is a lot of similarities to their story. So, Henry Bull became rector in 1862. Borley Rectory was on the site of the earlier Herringham Rectory and William Herringham was rector in 1807 to 1819. And then John Philip Herringham was rector uh, rector from 1819 to 1862. It seemed to be quite the thing where the father would pass on everything to the son. Mm. So the son then also became, became the reverend. The reverend. Which is sort of weird for us, isn't it? Yeah, very weird. Because it, now it, it's a calling. It's not something that's passed down from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. So we know from this history that the site of Bolly Rectory had several previous buildings on it and the excavations that were taken up, some by Harry Price, were shown to have 
visible bricks and foundations. They did use some of the foundations from previous buildings to build the new building. Mm -hmm. The property ended up consisting of 20 rooms and they talk about it as a really revolting brick building. Yeah, it's a rabbit warren, I do believe they refer to it as, and uh, it enclosed this little small courtyard which they described as claustrophobic. Mm. Uh, and it was very gothic looking in its mm-hmm. style, so it looked creepy. Yes, very, very imposing. It was finally completed about 1892 and the building was almost completely surrounded by a courtyard with access only on the coach house stable side through a narrow gap mm-hmm. or otherwise from the house through the kitchen passage or through the scullery. Now, inside they say there were stairs off the kitchen passage which led down to the oddly shaped cellars that ran underneath the whole house and extended beneath the hall and library. Now, they seem to have included some of the foundations, as you said, Mm -hmm. from the previous dwelling. The bricks were still pretty good. Why not use them? Remember that place that we went to in Sydney that we can't mention because we've done a private investigation there, but it was a huge building, and they took us down into the depths to the, the convict era, and there was fireplaces and parts of people's houses that had been yes. constructed with this monstrosity of a building yes. over the top of it. Yes. And there was these remnants of everyday life in there. Mm. That was insane. That was awesome. And he said we had to watch out for rats. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> as long as it's not spiders. Now, they also had a octagonal summer house which was situated in the garden and that backed onto a lane and faced a path on the far side of the lawn where the alleged phantom nun had apparently been seen. Now, there's some confusion as to when the path acquired its famous title of the nun's walk, but Peter Underwood, who is also, again, a very famous paranormal investigator, and I think most of the paranormal investigators of that time spent time at Borley Rectory. But Peter Underwood actually talked to Ethel Bull and she said that the nun's walk or the name of the nun's walk and the path originated from her brother Harry. But on another occasion, she said that the walk was so-called because as long as she could remember, she said both her father and her mother referred to the path by that name. So in later information, I found that they also talked about the fact that the summer house was built exactly where it was built so that it was like a spying hole Mm -hmm. on the walk and both the reverend and then his son, who then became the reverend, would spend many hours out there calling out to the nun Mm -hmm. and trying to make contact with her. Yep, sure did. So Harry made attempts to talk with the nun, but he says he never got any real replies to his questions. And the structure was still in good condition at the time Harry Price visited in 1929. Now, the Reverend and his son weren't afraid of ghosts and they weren't actually afraid of talking to them either. Oh, no, no, they were actually quite into it, Mm. which I'll get into in my notes. After the death of Reverend Harry Ball, the rectory at Borley was offered to 12 different clergymen, but they all refused 
by that time, the story of the things that had been happening at Borley Rectory had spread and there were not only the reasons of the fact that the place may have been haunted as to why it found it really hard to have a new owner or a new person there to look after the place, but also that the rectory had few amenities. So there was neither gas nor electricity and water had to be pumped by hand. Oh, goody, said the wives. (laughs) And so there is a bit of a thought that it may not have been the clergy that decided that they wouldn't stay at Borley, that it was their wives that said, no way, Jose, I'm not, (laughs) forget it. And there's only about 20 people in the village. Who am I going to talk to? The place had already, though, acquired a reputation and there are many, many stories, and I'm not going to tell the stories, the the ghost stories, because I want to leave that up to you, even from the Bull family about what they encountered while they were there. Yeah, I've got it all sorted out per family. Mm. So after 16 months of searching high and low, a new rector was finally found, and that was Reverend Eric Smith, who moved in with his wife, and they took up residence at the rectory in the autumn of 1928. Now, Mr. Smith was inducted on October 2nd, 1928, and they had no children. But they only lasted about nine months, and by July they were out. They found it impossible to live there because of the lack of amenities and because they had so many horrific things happen that they just couldn't live there any longer. So they went to live at Long Melford for a few months and then they just left the district in 1930. They ran away. They did. Then we have the Reverend Guy Eric Smith who came in. Now, he was a Eurasian. It's interesting what they consider to be Eurasian. It sounds to me like he was Indian. Yes, Mm. yes. And he didn't believe in ghosts and he and his English wife had come to England from India where Mrs Smith had suffered a serious illness. So they thought the... The country air of England. The country air, the freezing winters (laughs) would help her. Yeah, right. It helped me. Soon after their arrival, the Smiths heard some really disturbing whispers and sounds inside the rectory. And one of the things that really scared him the most was hearing some words of phrase that I'll let you talk about. Yes, because we had this discussion beforehand. I said, now, are you going to report on any of the ghostly stuff at all? She went, no, not at all. It's just history, <laughs> nothing but history. And I'm listening to all these ghost stories coming. I'm going to thump you in a minute. <laughs> because it's every person that's lived there has a story to has tell. a story to tell. And it is so interwoven with everything you get to one sentence that says this person moved in and then it's the ghost stories associated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, no, you've done very well. You've just touched on all of them so I can go a little bit Mm -hmm. more in depth. So the Smiths also had servants who saw things and this is when they got 
the Daily Mirror newspaper involved and they called mm-hmm. out Harry Price. Mm-hmm. And Harry was the leading ghost hunter and psychologist and the honorary director of his own National Laboratory of Psychical Research. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he made himself honorary director. It's a bit like people who set up their own paranormal awards and uh, yeah. then award themselves. Oh, a little bit like that, isn't <laughs> oh, no, that's seriously, that's hilarious that people thought that. Anyway, go on. He lost no time in getting out to the rectory and um, meeting the rector and his wife, who he described as charming, hospitable, intelligent, much-travelled and very sceptical people. Mm -hmm. At that time, the rectory staff were um, the rector and his wife, a maid and a gardener, and they, of course, talked to Harry about this particular case. And do you know Harry was involved in this case for on and off for about 20 years? Yeah, a long time. Crazy. Now, when they left, the rectory was vacated and empty for about another six months and then the new rector, Reverend Foister. Reverend? Reverend. (laughs) Reverend Foister. Is that water in your glass or have you got a bit of vodka in there, woman? (laughs) Who was a cultured and charming man, so we're up to the 1930s, with his equally charming wife stuck it out for about five years. And they left in 1935. Of course, you have many stories about their, mm-hmm. I their do. remarkable I do. Uh, occurrences there. And this was something in this particular period of time where it seemed that the Reverend's wife was the target. She was. She was mm. the focus of the mm-hmm. energy of the entities. But there's a story there. Yeah, and Mr. Foister wrote a book. Uh, called 15 Months in a Haunted House, which I would love. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, I would love to get my hands on. And he it, it describes the many hundreds of phenomena and it was like a day-to-day diary where he recorded everything that happened. I do remember in the notes somewhere that said he was very meticulous about recording what was happening. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then we go to Captain W.H. Gregson who occupied the place in the 1930s. I don't think I saw that name. Now, Mr Gregson was there when the building went up in smoke on the 27th to the 28th of February, 1939. After Harry Price was there? Yes. Right. Okay, that's why I didn't look at that because we're leaving that for part two. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I'll just finish the oh, history. Oh, no, that's You're... okay. You're not going to smack on the wrist. It's mm-hmm. all right. <laughs> and uh, this was after the spirits had actually threatened to destroy the house by fire. So the spirits had told him, we're going to burn this place down. Mm, now we, we'll find out more about that when we look at Harry Price. Mm-hmm. I'm so, it is Harry, isn't it? Yes. Not Henry. I've got Henry in my head all of a sudden. (laughs) And, of course, today not a brick stands, which is, oh, my gosh, it it would be a mecca. It would be a mecca for paranormal investigators. That's why there's not a brick standing. I'd say people have gone in and taken a brick and they've got a brick from Borley Rectory. That's Mm. my guess. It is really important for people to know that every occupant had paranormal experiences, Mm -hmm. which is in itself quite interesting because in many of these haunted house stories, you may find that there is one particular occupant Mm -hmm. that has something that happens, but not everyone that moves in. Plethora. I'll finish on this. Price first visited the house in 1929 and he wasn't able to do anything about the ghosts. 
and uh, until the Smiths moved out, and it was a year before Reverend Lionel Richard Lionel Lionel Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Dancing on the ceiling. <laughs> uh, Lionel Algernon Foister. Uh, was found as a replacement and Foister kind of continued and got Price back in to check out what was going on. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On, oh, yeah. So, Renato, I forgot to ask you, where did you get the soundscape from? Well... Just before I was about to leave my place to get to your place, a whole new rabbit hole yeah. emerged. You, you delayed the start of our recording by two hours because you found something else I and know. then you found something else. I know. The soundscape actually came from the lost BBC script associated with the Haunted Rectory. Ah. So this is this was something that was lost mm-hmm. and then recovered and, yeah, it's got some gold in it. Mm. Well, I think we'll talk about that next, next, next episode. Next episode. All right. Well, what I'm going to do and attempt to do in the 20 minutes I have left, <laughs> thanks, <laughs> I'm going to look at the four different stages of the, the rectory of different families and things living there, plus just a little tad on the what happened beforehand. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of very colourful legends about what happened before Reverend J.E. Herringham arrived as the tale of Borley's ghosts. And there was a wealth of information on this topic and some of the things that I've used in this episode are the Borley Rectory Companion, the complete guide to the most haunted house in England by Paul Adams Peter Underwood and Eddie Brazil. There was also a great article on theguardian.com. There was a website called burialsandbeyond.com. Also another a dissertation, I think, the Borley Rectory 
and the Society for Psychical Research Dissection of the Technique of Exposing by Walter A. Carruthers Jr. Sounds like he's going to expose himself. And The Haunting of Borley Rectory, a critical survey of the evidence by Eric J. Dingwall, Kathleen M. Goldney, Trevor H. Hall, also known as The Borley Report, and Poltergeist by Colin Wilson, and The End of Borley Rectory by Harry Price himself. So the, the initial reports of the ghosts of Borley was actually from school children, and they were claiming that they've seen the ghost of a nun. So this was just as they were about to move into the house, these were starting to come in. There's also another report about children who saw the ghost of the nun in the 1900s, interestingly enough, and that she disappeared as soon as she was approached. But the problem with that is that the townsfolk did like to gossip. Mm-hmm. And they just need to take one little thing and they do run with it. And they have actually worked out that that first report came from some of the children mm-hmm. who lived in the house, which you touched on before. Mm-hmm. So the ghostly figures that are well known there are the headless coachman, yes, a nun, an old-time coach drawn by two bay horses, <laughs> I like how they've got the colour of the horses, and also the reports of a monastery that stood on the ground. Now, there are a couple of different versions of the story about the nun and the monk. Mm-hmm. There is the nun and the groom. It's always the nun that's <laughs> she's the naughty girl. She's oh, well, just got herself a lover. Of course, of course. We <laughs> have to blame her. the woman. Good honour, that's what I say. Because nuns back in those days weren't, It wasn't a religious calling. It was where you were placed if your family couldn't look after you anymore. So it was said that a groom at the monastery fell in love with a nun at a nearby convent and they held clandestine meetings in the woods behind the rectory. One day they arranged to elope and another groom had a coach waiting for them on the road outside the wood. Now this is where the legend varies. Some say that the nun and her lover quarrelled and he strangled her in the woods, was caught and beheaded together with the other groom for his villainy. Another version is that all three were caught in the act of eloping by the monks and that the two grooms were beheaded and the nun buried alive. Now, there is another legend, and once we talked about the Benedictine Monastery in the area, 1362, which we know historically does not exist, that this monk from that monastery began a secret affair with a nun from a nearby convent. Uh Sounds familiar? Uh Yeah. Uh After the affair was discovered by their superiors, the lovers were brutally punished. The monk was swiftly executed, but the nun suffered a far worse fate being bricked up in the convent walls and left to suffocate and die. What is this bricking people up in walls thing? Goodness gracious, what a terrible, what even a terrible thing to think about doing. So there is no historical reference to the monastery and Mm -hmm. there is no historical reference to a nunnery nearby either. So it sounds like a concocted story, but it's a way to also piece together the coach Yes. And the groomsmen. Yes. And the headless people and the nuns. Yes. So they they all get put into this one little tale, I suppose, the best way. Anyway, let's get on to the first people and what happened. So as you said, our first residents, the ones who built on top of the structure that was already there, and that was Henry Dawson Ellis. 
Now, he had a friend. I've got a report from a friend that came to visit. Both were at Oxford together at some stage or other, and he came to stay at Borley Rectory and was there in 1885 and 1886 when there was lots of small adventures, stones falling from nowhere, objects being moved by themselves, and he stated that he saw the nuns several times and often heard the coach go clattering by. Mm Hmm. Hmm. All right. Now, you talked about the summer house. Yes. All right. The large summer house was built, as far as we can work out, by the original Henry Bull, the senior, we'll call him, for the express purpose of watching for the Phantom Nun. Mm Mm-hmm. Some people have given more mundane explanations, but no, it was built so he could look for this nun. He spent a lot of time there with his son in the summer house and for the same purpose. So they're out there ghost hunting together, which I quite sort of like in a funny sort of way. There was a smaller Gothic-style summer house built by the rector about the same time too. Now, that will come in later on. So remember, there's another building that's been built there. And when we talk about a summer house... It's like a... Hunting lodge or something, I suppose. Right. A bit like what we stayed in Tasmania. Right. So the the summer house was quite gothic in its style as well. And apparently the rectors spent a lot of time there as well, communing with the spirits. Neither of them were afraid of ghosts. Now we move on to Henry Foister Bull, which is the son. Mm -hmm. There's stories there with the Bull sisters, Ethel, Frieda and Mabel. Mm-hmm. They were returning from a small local party on the 28th of July, 1900. And as they entered the drive gate and started to approach the house, they all saw the figure of a nun dressed in black with bowed head walking or gliding Ooh. along the nun's walk. The girls were thinking there was something not right about the figure because of the way it moved. So they ran into the house to get their older sister, Caroline who came out straight away thinking it was one of the Sisters of Mercy. She actually went to go and talk to them and as she hurried towards the person to offer help or see what they wanted, they disappeared, utterly vanished. Less than four months later, one of the other sisters, Ethel, saw the the ghost nun again, this time apparently leaning over a gate. Directory Cook, who was with Ethel at the time, also saw the apparition And interestingly enough, a cousin who was staying at the house at the time reported seeing the same figure in the same place. Wow. So now you've got three different people who have witnessed this nun. Hmm. Between 1916 and 1920, Edward Cooper, who was employed as a gardener and the coachman, lived with his wife in the rectory cottage. Now, Mm -hmm. I think this is the summer house. Yes. Before they had been there very long, Cooper asked his wife whether she'd ever heard voices in the cottage or sounds of a dog padding around their bedroom. The wife said, no, that's cats or mice. But she went for a look to work out whether it was cats or mice and could find nothing. So this is extending over now into the cottage. She did hear some distinct rapping sounds from overhead, loud, and came to the conclusion that something weird was going on. Now, Mr. Cooper one evening came in and asked his wife whether she had ever seen a Sister of Mercy anywhere about the rectory. And now, see, this is the same stories. And obviously he's been talking to someone else. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, a little bit of those Chinese whispers going on there. gossip's going. (laughs) Gossip's going. Or or, or the Sisters of Mercury is (laughs) I forgot about that. (laughs) When she said no, he told her that he had seen a nun 
come in by the garden door and seemed to then go back out the entrance of the rectory and went towards the road. He felt there was something strange about her movements. Uh-huh. She's learnt the moonwalk uh-huh. by Michael Jackson uh-huh. and followed her for several yards, but then she'd suddenly disappeared. He put it down to a visitor at the rectory or someone looking for charity. Right. Mm. I don't know. It sounds like it, he's trying to freak his wife out. <laughs> so still on Edward Cooper. Yes. Yep. He thought he'd sold the phantom coach as well. So he's ticking all the boxes, isn't he? <laughs> yes, sounds like it. Oh, it was a moonlit night and looking out of the bedroom window, he saw what appeared to be an old-fashioned coach with horses and two headlamps that glittered on the harness and the horses, but he heard no sound whatsoever. So they stayed at the Borley Rectory for about five years and they reported other curious incidents like crashing sounds and the appearance of an eerie black shape inside the house. But interestingly, once they left the cottage and moved elsewhere, they had no further paranormal activity. And they were also, because they were interviewed with the whole Harry Price thing, they didn't actually want to talk about it Mm -hmm. and not be known to be associated with it. So they've obviously got no gain there, but was there something going on at the time? Yes. All right, so also part of the investigations that Harry did is he traced down a journeyman carpenter by the name of Fred Cartwright who lived in Sudbury and he told Price about an experience that he'd had. So he was there in autumn of 1927 And guess what he saw? Pick which one. The nun. The nun. Yep. He saw the nun on four separate occasions over the course of a week. So that was interesting. So some of these he saw in full form in daylight, which he took to be a living person. On the fourth and final occasion, the Sister of Mercy disappeared unaccountably. (gasps) She gets around that nun, doesn't she? (laughs) So he never saw that mysterious figure again, just there. So, hmm. yeah, in full daylight and mm-hmm. looks like a solid person. Mm-hmm. <gasps> oh, could it be? Could it have been? Could it be? A solid person. Might have been. Did any of them actually go up and ask or were they just so petrified because of the stories that their assumption was this might be the ghost lady and I'm not going anywhere near her just in case. Yeah, well, some of them do say they start walking towards her and she disappears. Uh-huh. But they're also talking about her being in a garden and there would be hedges and yes. bushes and yep. who knows what. So, I mean, it, it doesn't take much for things to disappear in front of your eyes. I know that happened to me at Maitland Jail with that figure. I turned around to look to one side, came back and it was gone. Yeah. Could they have ducked out somewhere? Possibly. Yes. Anyway, let me get on to the Smiths. Okay. All right. Now, it was 1927. Wasn't that the name of a band? I'm sure there's 1927's a band. Anyway, they moved into the rectory, and this is where the more modern haunting started to happen. So there was supposedly this story of a skull of a young woman being found in the cupboard by his wife. Yes. Now, I found no other reference to this in any of the other stories I looked at, just this one story. Yeah, no no one else, no, no other family from what I read 
found or had anything to do with this particular skull. And it I'm, was just this particular family. Yeah, and just for reference, going back to the nun being bricked up in a room, she was bricked up in the nunnery, not at the rectory. Mm-hmm. And there is no records of a nunnery in the area anyway, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. just in case somebody wanted to try and tie mm-hmm. that in. This seemed to be the trigger for supernatural activity within the house. Immediately after the skull discovery, a whole host of paranormal events were said to have occurred. Now, this is when you were re- reporting that they heard a whispering voice. Mm-hmm. All right, the Smiths heard disturbing sounds, and the rector thought he heard, Don't, Carlos. Don't. Yes. <laughs> And his nickname or something, they used to call him Carlos. Mm -hmm. So I wonder what Carlos was up to. They're saying, don't, Carlos, Mm. don't. Mm. But usually the words were indistinguishable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they couldn't make out what they were. They were murmurs. Now, I just would like at that point to point out that the house was built in this square with a little courtyard in the middle. It was all very small and close together. I think sounds would travel. Yes, yeah. Hmm. Now, the other thing that happened was servant bells started to ring mysteriously, apparently unaided, which was also experienced by the bulls. And they would hear lots of distinct, slow, deliberate footsteps pacing the upper passages in some of the rooms. Now, some of the, the maidservants started to get in on the activity and they said that they saw apparitions, a figure of a nun, reportedly walking across the nun's walk and a similar apparitional figure was seen elsewhere in the garden. There's also now a window in the upper part of the rectory that would inexplicably light up. Uh, now, I found this was interesting. And Mrs Smith pointed this out to various neighbours, including the Paynes, who now lived in the Borley Place, who also saw the light and established that there was no natural explanation for its appearances. How would the neighbours know if there was any... What are they doing? They're getting their binoculars out and just checking the bedrooms to see if there's anyone in there? How, that, that's just a bizarre statement. Oh. Then one of the Smiths made, so as you can see, it's really ramped up here. Yes, it has. Ah. And what year are we in now? The we, 1930s? Yeah, we're, we'd be round about, well, they moved in in 1927. So, yeah, it'd be it's getting close to now. Yeah, yep. So the maid saw the tra- traditional coach and horses. A shadowy shape was seen near one of the drive gates and curious noises were heard by all occupants of the house. The Smiths were genuinely puzzled by the curious things that were happening almost as soon as they took up residence. So the couple at this stage were confused as to what was going on. They contacted the Daily Mirror, as you were saying, and the reason why they were doing this was so they could make contact with the Society for Psychical Research, Mm -hmm. the SPR, a very reputable down-to-earth establishment. So the Mirror responded by sending around a reporter Joined by Harry Price, Mm -hmm. who was a paranormal researcher, as we know, and he became very famous for his research methods. Now, I touch on the start of Harry being there. I don't go in depth into I just do the first visit. Mm -hmm. Shortly after Price's arrival, the unexplained activity increased considerably. Price compiled a report of his dramatic experiences recounting spirit messages and objects thrown about the house by unseen hands. Just out of interest, though, once Price departed, apparently the phenomena stopped. 
No. <laughs> this is just the first time. Okay. Just a, I don't know what's happened since because right. this is part two. I mean, he may have had direct contact with those spirits he and those spirits have. may have liked what they were hearing from mm. him and the way he was speaking to them. So yeah, maybe that's, that's right. why. That, that, that could be, or he ha- might actually have psi ability yes. that is creating the phenomena to mm-hmm. go off around mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. So they decided to do some long vigils. This is the reporter and Price, and they went out to the garden summer house. The reporter was Vernon Wall, that's right, and they wanted to watch the ghost walk. Now, they did observe a mysterious window light, Price's companion claimed to see a dark figure moving along the path amongst the trees. Price, intently watching the rectory windows, was taken by surprise, and it was a second or two before he could direct his gaze towards the nun's walk and the place that had been indicated by his fellow watcher. It was nearly dark by this time, but Price, against the darker background of trees, I fancied I could discern a shadowy figure, blacker than the background, gliding towards the end of the garden. So he was watching one part of the house and was looking for the lights. The other one was looking in the garden. So as he's called out, he's then shifted his gaze. It's getting a little bit too dark, Mm -hmm. but he thinks... Now, this is the power of suggestion again. Mm -hmm. He thinks he's seeing something. He thinks he's seeing something. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I can see that too, I think. Another thing that happened was that once they went back into the house, a half-brick, seemingly propelled from nowhere, crashed through the glazed veranda roof, showering the men with glass splinters. Now, this has been photographed. Oh, so you got a picture of the brick? Yes. Oh, we have to get our team onto that to get a picture of a brick up there. Now, I'm not sure when you talk about that, would that have been a picture that Harry Price would have taken? Might be the reporter if Um, the reporter's there. Because, yes, I do have a picture of the brick flying through the air. Oh, actually in mid-flight. Yes, yes. Yes, it's one of the famous photos from Borley Rectory. Oh, well, I didn't find that one. I suck at my research. Actually, there you go. There it is. I'm I'm showing Anne as we speak. There's the brick. Oh, that's that little white thing in the blurred photo? Yes. Very nice. Thank you for sharing that. But that looks like when the place is actually all demolished. So that could be another brick flying through the air. Must be a second brick. Two bricks. Two bricks. (laughs) You should two see Renata's bricks. face. She's just like, oh, wow, two bricks. Anyway, let me get on. So okay, this sorry. is now turning into violent poltergeist-type activity. Yes, yes, it is. So the men went straight upstairs and checked and found nothing. As they descended the main staircase, another crash was heard and a glass candlestick, one of a pair they had just seen standing on the mantelpiece of one of the bedrooms, came hurtling down the stairs, struck the iron stove and disintegrated into fragments on the hall floor. Again, they've rushed upstairs, made another search, but found nothing to be able to explain what was going on. So at that stage, what do you do? You sit on the stairs and you turn all the lights off. Mm -hmm. That's what I would have done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then please throw something at me. I'm strange. So they heard something rattling down the staircase while they were sitting there in the dark. And once they turned the the light on, because the wall said it hit him, they found a little mothball had rolled down the stairs from somewhere and hit them. They couldn't work out where this had come from. 
Then quickly and in full light, pebbles and a piece of slate came tumbling down the stairway. Soon the servant bells rang on their own volition and Price and Wall could clearly see the wires moving and some of the pools in the appropriate rooms were found swinging, but what could have activated them? Finally, the keys from two doors on the ground floor of the house appeared to fall from their locks when nobody was near them. Now, we've had keys with poltergeist before, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not a thing about keys does poltergeists. So what did they decide to do then after sitting on the stairs in the dark and having things thrown at them? Hold a seance. <laughs> of course. <laughs> what else would you do? I'd do that. Yes. <laughs> I think we must have read his book on how to be investigators, Renata. So in the early hours of the morning, they held a seance in the eerie blue room bedroom. They heard tapping sounds originating from dressing table mirror, appeared to respond to questions put by the sitters, which included two of the Bull sisters, both of whom were convinced they were communicating with their brother, Harry, who had died in that room two years previously. So once again, that could be a grief thing. It could be. So as you can see, peoples, I'm, I've still got a couple of pages of notes to go and we had to split this into two because yes. we need to look at Harry Price's side of things as well. But let me get on to Algernon, yes. Lionel Algernon Foister and Mary Ann and Baby Adelaide. So this is June 1929. The Smiths leave and they're replaced in October 1930 by Reverend Lionel and his wife. So this family remained in the house for five years, during which time the Reverend compiled a substantial report of all the supernatural experiences the family had endured. So he was the one that started to really write everything down, and this was eventually given to Harry as well. So the reports include breaking of windows, strange writing appearing on the walls, and that reminds me of Humpty Doo. Mm-hmm. Their daughter being locked in a room to which there was no key, and objects such as bottles and stones were thrown about the house. So we seem to have really moved into a poltergeist sort of phase. Yes. And at this stage, it's only a baby that's in the house and a couple. So the the whole theory of the teenage angst going on, but there might be an emotional angst going on. There could be. We'll get to that. Now, the Reverend's wife appeared to be at the centre of most of the extreme poltergeist activity, claiming to have been violently thrown from bed and periodical attacks by an unseen agent. Oh, do you know what price thought they should do at that stage? Exercise the house. <laughs> the exercise or exorcise? Exorcise. <laughs> Going to run up and down the stairs and say, go spig on. Uh, no. So, yeah, they tried it twice. An exorcism. An exorcism on the house. Do you think it worked? No. No. There would be no. No, it didn't work. (laughs) But then this started to get a lot of attention now towards the house because the the public outside was starting to to hear about it. And there's some news stories about the infamous Borley Rectory and its hauntings. And now, all of a sudden... A plethora of amateur reporters and psychical researchers start to turn up at the rectory in the hope of studying the phenomena. Of course. And this reminds and you we of, would be there as oh, well. We would. <laughs> We'd be camping on the grass saying, but we're better than all of them. Let us in. But we're not. We're just clean. So this sounds like the black monk of yes. Pontefract. Yes. Yes, exactly. 
So, of course, everyone was wondering why Mary Ann, why was she the cause or the centre of the storm of the poltergeist? And as I said, we, we've got the writing on the wall. I don't mean that in a dramatic sort of way. It's like literal writing or scribble that were on the wall. That started in 1931 and addressed to Marianne alone, pleas for rest and mass prayers would scrawl across the walls in manic scribbles, frequently illegible in their panicked state. Hmm, interesting that they're saying that the, the ghost is panicked. Don't get that. There was also notes that were scrawled on scraps of paper that soon attempted to establish a method of written communication asking what the spirit wanted, which that's when they replied they wanted rest. So mm-hmm. it's almost like they want peace, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So they're assuming now that they've got a restless spirit. So they tried the communication and they, they couldn't really get anywhere with it. And it was still happening when the Braithwaite's, a prominent local family interested in spiritualism, visited the rectory, held a seance and managed to save one of the bits of paper for posterity. Isn't that great? That's lovely. Now, I just want to make a little note here because I found the floor plans of the rectory. Yes. Now, the places that these were scribbled were very near the bathroom in the hallway on the the second level, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, First floor, as some people would call it. And I just have to say that there was a stairway right there that came from the kitchen area and Mm -hmm. there was a stairway that went up to the attic. So it was very easy access for someone to come up and uh, scribble and run away. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Mm-hmm. But there's another little piece there of information. There is a great little bit of information <laughs> which I'm now going to put out. Let me just tell you the, the writing on the wall, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> coincided with the start of Mary Ann's affair with the lodger Frank Peerless. Oh, boom. <laughs> damn it. Damn it. So is this her anxiety over this affair that's creating sigh and making all this stuff happen around her? Or is it something else? I think it's something else. <laughs> This, this is better than married at first sight. I know. <laughs> All right. So despite many recorded incidents being considered authentic or truly unexplained, any perceived legitimacy of Marianne's claims were irreparably damaged after she confessed to being in a sexual relationship <gasps> with the family's a lodger. sexual relationship. Oh, she getting oh it on. Gosh. You go, girl. You well, can, maybe... can you imagine the gossip oh. in the township? Oh, <laughs> Now, let me just say, Marianne did go on later on to explain that she frequently used claims of supernatural phenomena to conceal her affair, Uh explaining away noises. (laughs) Oh, ah, oh. Yeah, so she'd explain away those noises and suspicions with a swift mention of a ghost. Oh, that was a ghost, darling. (laughs) The ghost is obviously having really wild sex with somebody. (laughs) Not me. (laughs) God. Um, But there was also a a famous psychic medium that came in. Yeah. And, of course, they they picked up on everything. Uh Later being entertained by the rector and his wife, he heard for the first time mysterious forms, male and female, being seen inside and outside of the house, of lights in unoccupied rooms, of articles appearing and being thrown, of fires breaking out, of mysterious whisperings and unexplained writings on the wall and scraps of paper. Once the rector told him, 
He was working alone in his study when he saw a pencil rise from the desk and scrawl words on the wall in front of him with no hand visible. Oh, my goodness. This was Guy Lestrange. Mm-hmm. I love that name. Good stage name. I'm sure it. it's his real name. His claims were regarded as false, considering that the Reverend was so meticulous in his accounts and never reported any such phenomena himself, certainly no levitating, levitating pencils. Mm-hmm. But now we get into what the hell is going on. Let's leave this hanging because this actually does deserve a second episode. It does. Because Harry Price is a very interesting character. He is. And we will find out in the next episode of True Hauntings whether the Borley Rectory is a true haunting or not. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of True Hauntings. Please join us next week as we follow up on what actually went down in the Borley Rectory. And let me tell you, it's fascinating. Things went down. Oh, especially Marianne. No. <laughs> But please make sure you like, you subscribe, you hit that bell, do all those things. Follow us on Facebook, on YouTube. Yeah, even on that awful TikTok thing. Instagram, we're over there as well. And just by supporting us in this way, that helps us to bring you more content and more stories. So thank you for joining us this week on True Hauntings. Renata? We'll see you on the dark side. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.anneandrenata.com. True Hauntings is a part of the Human Labs Podcast Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.